0: Welcome everyone to Overcome Podcast episode 49. And today uh, uh, is is a very special episode because I have here a great friend, a a former coach and a longtime friend, uh, Jeff Dwell. Jeff, thank you very much for being here today.
1: Yuri, I'm really excited to be on this podcast. Uh, We've been friends for a a really long time. Uh, I believe we met back at The original Metroflex Plano.
0: Yep. A million,
1: I don't even know. Maybe it was early
0: 2011, January 2011.
1: (laughs) I have to tell a story. I have to tell a story about you. When we first met, you had told me about your idea, i.e., strategy for doing a bodybuilding Mm -hmm. show. And I can remember you telling me, I'm, I'm not exactly sure exactly what the time frame was. I believe it was at least 2 a two-year two year project, maybe yeah. three.
0: <laughs>
1: and I remember, I remember saying, I was like, nobody nobody does these. <laughs> I, I never believed that that was actually possible. And then I realized that you actually had mapped out the entirety of the program. And uh, you w- went through with it, and it was real. And here we are today, many many successes yes. later. Yes,
0: and I have my Jeff Dwell Athletics shirt today, just to. Oh, yeah. that's yes. a, that's a that. that's a vintage view. It <laughs> yeah. is vintage.
1: It is. You can't find. You the cannot find right.
0: that one. Yep. Uh-huh. Jeff, um, yeah. When I met you in 2011, you were just coming out of a show because I, I remember you yeah. were freaking gigantic, and I think he won that show. It was I'm not sure if it was a Texas show. Do you remember yeah. which show it was? It was.
1: It was. I had done three shows in 2011. It was my last year to compete. I competed in bodybuilding, uh, and the event I had just come out of was the Europa. I had done the Europa Super Show. It was my third show that year. Uh, the first one I had done was the NPC West Texas. As a national qualifier, I, I was not nationally qualified. I had taken a couple of years off. And then I had done the NPC USA in July uh, with Steve Mm. Kupo. We were training partners for that show. That's the show that he won overall and won his pro card at. And uh, I had done that show. He was a super, I was a heavy. I got seventh as a heavy. It wasn't my best look. Um, And then I went on to the Europa two weeks later as a super heavy and won the Europa. And that was the last show I competed in.
0: Yeah, I remember you were you were really looking huge on that show, huge legs as usual, uh, very well definition and and I remember looking at you saying, this guy me uh, in the early days seen off some of your footage. this guy reminds me of uh, Bob Paris, um, the physique. you know I'm not sure. i'm I'm pretty sure that someone already told you that.
1: yeah, I uh, which is an awesome comparison because I was a really big fan, such an aesthetic physique and such an ex- aesthetic poser. Yeah. I was always a fan of the aesthetic bodies as I was was coming up because I wasn't a large person even at 225 in bodybuilding at the time and things have changed so much. Uh, I was undersized at 510 and um, but I I always really wanted to present myself or uh, compete as an aesthetic competitor well-rounded and then have a display uh, or presentation typing that was personal. Um, or lent itself to my physique. Jeff,
0: do you think that if back in the day they had class physique, would you have gone to that direction rather than bodybuilding?
1: Absolutely. Uh, I love classic physique for, for the reasons that you, you do too, is that neither of us are mass monsters. Uh, we both have light frames. Um, and at the time, I, uh, I just didn't have the frame typing to be 240, 250, mm-hmm. uh, and classic would have been, it, the great thing about classic is this, it helps you set different expectations. Mm-hmm. When I was coming up and there was only bodybuilding, the expectation is always if you want to be successful and move forward is that you have to get bigger, and that comes with uh, you know mm-hmm. risks, uh, that comes with being aggressive, and it doesn't fit everyone's yep. body. And I would have loved to have been in classic because it very much is a sport that you can be in at a healthy level. And then it fits a lot of different frames. And the great thing about classic, you can look at the top three in Olympia. You have three very different body types that all fit the classic physique mold. And that is really exciting And for me. on
0: the NPC level, the other thing that I, I believe is a quite advantage is that you are evaluated by height and weight. So it's very fair.
1: Yeah, I mean the great thing about classic is is that they they try to make it such that it that your body fits a specific mold. It, it's an you know it's really kind of an interesting argument, Yuri. Because, and I can kind of talk about this all day long. But the idea was that you limit someone's uh, capability to have a certain amount of lean muscle mass at a height, so that would limit their overall size, and then that the idea being it would lend itself to the judging moving more toward the aesthetic of the physique and not just overwhelming muscularity. And then what you had or have had in the pro division is I think what everybody kind of calls the Bumstead rule and that is that they bumped the weight limit up by 10 pounds so that the guys are bigger. And then what you saw was bodybuilders move over and you have this really interesting now cross between a lot of different body typings and body sizes
0: yeah no and uh and it's not for everyone because uh i think grimes uh tried to do a bodybuilding mm-hmm. show and he yeah. went i mean class physique and then he went back to bodybuilding so it's not for yeah. everyone either
1: it's not you know he has a very aesthetic bodybuilding physique it's a little different typing than an aesthetic classic physique mm-hmm. physique and like a lot of these guys he was dumping a significant amount of weight at the end to get in to his height, weight class and then what happens to a lot of them they just don't have the time to turn it yeah. around
0: right and, and uh and they don't look right, right. And, and I know you are pretty big on on posing and uh I mean this is something that I, I learn a lot from you and you you always really work hard with your athletes to make sure that they are presenting mm-hmm. themselves and i think the class physique has also this aspect they it seems like they appreciate more the presentation don't you think
1: absolutely i think the thing that's been fun about it is is that it has brought back to the forefront the artistry and aesthetic of posing in the competitors themselves i work with you know these kids who have gone and researched the great posers in the 80s and the 90s and even the 70s and they'll come to me with these ideas or pictures, or they'll try things, and that makes it really fun and really cool, because a lot of what had happened with bodybuilding was that it had become so hardcore or straightforward in terms of display that a lot of the aesthetic or nuance had gone away, and now you see these kids, which is really cool, coming up with their old own version of these really like classic aesthetic poses but
0: it's interesting that although is uh, is way more emphasized nowadays i i was out of the circuit for two years and i came back last year as you saw in the heart of texas and it's funny that uh mm-hmm. after i left the stage i was just looking at some other folks uh posing i was like man there's a lot of potential clients for jeff in this stage here people are still not right. investing in posing why is that
1: Oh man, I had this conversation earlier today. Um I I let's see if I can encapsulate it as best as I can. I think Yuri, a lot of young men learn via social media. I think they learn via YouTube. I think they learn virtually. Uh, and as you know, as you had invested a significant amount of time in posing practice and learning, it's it's difficult to learn or even understand that there are fundamentals uh, via those channels. Uh, and then I think too, I, it with, which is different than the way that you would have approached it and I would have approached it. People's journey to the stage now is much shorter. It's just shorter. People's preparation of time is shorter. I think they become interested in it and move toward competing in a much shorter period of time. And they don't even have the time to get the knowledge or the repetition such that the posing is refined. And then the other part too, from the judges standpoint, you have to judge what's in front of you. And what I've seen over the years is is as the organization and that, that division in particular continues to broaden, uh, you just have more diversity and preparedness. And that makes it, I would say more of a competitor sport at the NPC level um, and those who are really elite Uh, You don't see a lot of them until you get to national level or the pro level. Makes
0: sense. Makes sense. But with your experience of uh, uh, coaching so many athletes, do you still in favor of a longer 16, 18 weeks prep? Or or do you nowadays receive a lot of clients that are like, I have eight weeks, 10 weeks to get ready?
1: Right. I don't uh, work with anyone for less than 20 weeks. Oh, really? Um, Oh, that's
0: cool. No.
1: I don't, I prefer 30. Um, I don't feel like I can apply my methodology in less than 20 weeks. I don't think it's possible, uh, at least from my standpoint to have someone prepared on all fronts at the level at which I think they should be to be on stage. And, uh, that includes, um, uh, an investment in posing that includes an investment in Uh, appropriate technique or correction in training all body parts. And then that also includes an investment in understanding someone's really uh, nutrition, their responsiveness to macronutrients and nutrition type.
0: Because with 20 20 weeks, you have way more margin to learn more about how the, the, the person's body will behave when you change food and things like that. Yes. Unless yes. it is an old client like uh, Catherine that I, she she was on the show, yes. too, and she, she said when she was preparing for her last show, I think it was like eight weeks, and you were like, no, you can do it. Well, because you know her for yes. years, right? Right.
1: What I've done, what I do with my current clients, Yuri, they're actually in program all year. So everyone is in a managed program all year. Uh, and in our off-season segment, everyone checks in every two weeks. Oh, okay. And Yeah, and so we're always working on projects. We always have a project in the off-season. We're in a managed nutrition program. Now, everybody's can look different, and it's not punitive. Uh, The program is set up such that the person is improving their physique and then managing their body fat level, but everyone now in my program is in some kind of a goal-setting position at all times.
0: And, and the goal for the off-season is trying to gain lean mass without putting a lot of fat? Because uh, we, we, we don't right. want to have to go to the, to the prep mode with a lot of fat to lose, right?
1: Yeah, you know, the setup starts, as you know, from, from transitioning from really like a weight loss person at the beginning to someone who's done a lot of shows for yourself is that I'm not saying that the preps to get easier. I think they become more efficient and effective as you have more productive off-seasons and you manage your body fat more readily.
0: Yeah, and this is, uh, how how long you've been implementing that and and what have you noticed as far as improvement? You've seen a a big improvement by doing that?
1: Yeah, you know, Yuri, back in the day, this sounds crazy now, but, and this is what you're referencing, we would do 12-week preps, people would come, at 12 weeks out and you would just jump yeah. in which sounds insane but and that's how i had several preps and then after you're finished with the show there's no follow-up it's just jump off the cliff and eat 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 and get big and have a good time until you prep right. again and that obviously uh, was not real effective and then what i had realized is that it's difficult for a the most difficult part for a competitor is once the show was over, because being in a program that is managed and with a specific goal and with a mindset, if you go and just take the entirety of that away, it's it's very difficult emotionally to figure out what's next. Yeah, the, the so, rebound,
0: the rebound process. Not to even count the rebound process, where it can become very dangerous if you start eating everything basically.
1: Absolutely, absolutely. So I actually, with my clients, we are already talking about what that next phase will look like even before the show is over. So I'm mentally preparing and I'm mentally reassuring so that they don't become anxious about what will happen afterwards.
0: No, that's, uh, that's great. And then,
1: and then what happens, Yuri, too, as you know, bodybuilding is sort of a, it's a perpetual journey. I don't know that you're ever perfect. Uh, I don't know that you ever have things to run out of working on. And so each show is an opportunity to reflect and see what was good and what was bad. And if you really love doing it, then you use the experience to build new projects. Mm
0: -hmm. Yeah. Uh, Since the topic of the the show is overcome, um, what do you think, uh, based on your experience uh, from the athletes that you've trained, the ones that are able to reach uh, better results, is a matter of... Uh, a mindset and doing the right thing and, and executing precisely the plan or is more around genetics or a combination of both?
1: Uh, well, I, I probably can answer that in two ways. I think uh, in general, to be successful in physique competitions, you have to have a specific personality type and that's someone who enjoys and craves routine. Uh, someone who really enjoys being in the gym, like enjoys lifting weights, um, and then someone who's very project and goal oriented, and then someone who is diligent, and then to be honest, someone who has the financial means and the support to be able to do all those things I mentioned before. Mm-hmm. That's that's the most important across the board. It's just life setup being successful, just like any other project you would take on. This one just happens to be pretty overwhelming physically, emotionally. But all of those things have to be in place for someone to be consistently successful. Now, when you move to really the pro level, uh, obviously there is starts to become, and at national level at some level, there's definitely some genetic advantages that take place. And when I say genetic advantages, I, I think that people misinterpret that sometimes in some way by just saying, hey, this person just has better structure than this person, or this person has better muscle bellies. A genetic advantage is being able to assimilate a lot of food Mm -hmm. over an extended period of time. A genetic advantage is someone who can get by on less sleep. A genetic advantage is someone who tolerates gear better than someone else. There are so many genetic components that come into play for those who are at the elite Mm -hmm. level. And at the end of the day, to be able to be continually, successfully, continually successful, at an elite level, there is a significant genetic component on a lot of fronts. And then you have to pile in all the other stuff that I'll talk about first.
0: Yeah, no, It's a, it's a great summary. Uh, and definitely when you go to the pro level, genetics play a lot. But as you said, it's not only about, well, this guy has a good genetics. Well, what good genetics means is really not only re- uh, the body genetics is how the body reacts to a lot of things, uh, recovery yeah. and, and all the, uh, stimulation and all that stuff because I've Absolutely. seen I've Absolutely. seen guys that has one protocol that exactly the same as the other guy but the other guy responds way better.
1: Oh my gosh, Yuri, when I was training with Steve for USA in 2011, I mean we were, you know, we trained together every day. We didn't eat the same diet, we didn't have the same protocols, but I mean generally like we were bumping on each other every day and I realized how elite his physique was, you know? <laughs> I mean he was just more gifted than me by a lot. And I was a grinder, but to be able to witness that myself, you know, day by day, it made me aware, both as a competitor and as a coach, more aware that there is for the elite level people. Um, and Sarah Hayes was another good example, too, yes. that you remember that I was training
0: fantastic. With that time. Yep.
1: Just, just a freakish elite genetics. And I trained with both of them at that time. and. Uh, it was amazing to watch how uh, how well they recovered from training, how little they needed, and how really what was amazing to me is, is how they could continue to handle heavy loads and move weight because they had such good structures, and I became aware of like that extra rep or set that piled up over time that makes those differences.
0: And how they get very well uh, uh towards the end of the prep while a lot of people are dying they are actually shining more and more as it gets closer to the to the the show time. And I I remember last year before the Arnold I was at the Hidden Gym training uh, and Steve was there doing some cardio and he was like one week out it was like and he was mm-hmm. Like life as usual, not feeling down mm-hmm. or anything. Same atmosphere. Yeah, it's like uh, impressive, and and Steve is very impressive because he's doing this for a long time, right? So, he's yeah. a very mature athlete.
1: I saw him yesterday,
0: uh, and he's well. He's a week out.
1: Yesterday, it was his last leg day with Greg, and he closed his squats. And they didn't start with squats. He did a really clean, deep set of twenty with four hundred five. <laughs> Easy Peasy, with you know basically no food in his system, and he was very very lean. And I'll I'll tell you this component too. In 2011, he was with Hani. Uh, hani took his water for Friday night pre-judge. I believe he took all of it on Thursday, which I, I can't last. I cannot take all my water. My body will fall apart. I just get flat and I am um, look terrible. I don't think Steve had a drink of water until sometime on Saturday, and he just got harder and harder. Wow. And it just just a, a very like hearty disposition and his body can just acclimate and
0: continue to get better. And you are not too fan of this protocol of removing the water because I, I done, I've done many preps with you and you never really completely removed the water.
1: Yeah, you know, you're, you like me are, you've got a worker's body, you know, and you're ectomorphic. And so you have some parts that stay full and some parts that fade. Especially under stress, mm-hmm. and removing water is very stressful on your body. And to be able to assimilate nutrition, uh, to be able to keep your body moving, you do have to have some fluids and some hydration. And I don't believe, I, I, and this is why I give the Steve example. I've seen one person who you could take his water completely away from, and he actually got better. I've typically made this mistake that I've dehydrated someone too much and I can't get them turned around fast enough because they can't assimilate nutrition fast enough.
0: Have you done this experiment on yourself to not have any water for uh, yes. you? And how was? Yeah, absolutely.
1: Good. It was really good. Like I can feel on myself when it's becoming too much uh, and when I'm flattening out. It's really hard sometimes to tell the difference between being flat and then you play these mind games with yourself around, you know, showtime where you're like, gosh, I'm just fat, you know, It you kind of lose your eyes. And as a coach you can too sometimes. You really kind of have to trust yourself in the process and you have to trust what you saw a couple of days before. And, and when you see somebody get soft looking, it's almost always because they've flattened out from stress, too little water, too little food, uh, too much diuretic, or all four.
0: Yeah. And nowadays, uh, Jeff, are your clientele mostly local, or are you doing a lot of online as well?
1: Um, most of mine are local. I have some online, but right now, today, I really focus, my really my style now, Yuri, is that the clients that I have train with me, they pose with me. It's really an, an inclusive service I'm providing because I want to be able to provide a service such that the competitor. Is fully prepared and I'm hands-on
0: yeah one thing that I love when I train with you is, is that many times during the workout session you are actually there training together with the clients and that's pretty cool yeah I think that motiv- motivates fun. a lot of people and you are leading by example I, I always love it
1: yeah we did that a few times yeah.
0: you still doing that right
1: <laughs> yeah of course I do it every weekend Uh, I kind of always felt like, Yuri, I wasn't going to ask somebody to do something I couldn't or at least I wouldn't try um, because I felt like that kept me connected to the experience and to the competitors. And then I was hoping that it would show them that I respected them and they would respect me. And I have a lot of respect for the process and the sport. I still love to train and I still diligently train with my clients and I post with them. Yeah,
0: yeah. Uh, Since you are such a one-on-one type of approach, when COVID hit in 2020, did you have a hard time to adapt?
1: (laughs) It was an interesting time. Uh, Our gym closed, I think in March, late March 2020. I took several pieces of equipment and we have a parking garage just to the east of the gym. I set that equipment up in the parking garage and I worked out of the garage for
0: four months. Wow, really?
1: Yeah, I did one-on-ones. Well, here's what I did is I took a block of time from like six in the morning until five in the afternoon, and I filled it with the regulars who had come. I discounted everybody's sessions. And then those times that were holes, I would reach out to people in the evening, and I would come up with camps or mixed groups or... $20 Twenty-dollar sessions,
0: anything just to keep the wheel turning. Anything. You, you were always extremely creative, and and you creative uh, create so many things that were copied by other people, because we're always very successful. I mean, you started this whole thing of posing classes on on, on over the weekend, uh, a booty mm-hmm. uh, camp, and all that stuff, and I've seen that mm-hmm. being replicated uh, in the industry, local. Uh, by many other people, but uh, the the original one is always uh, Jeff's. Yeah, I
1: started posing class in 2001. Trish Warren was one of my first two clients. She had never done a show. She started in fitness. And uh, it just grew from there. Um, And I was always ambitious, uh, and I was always a competitor's coach. I was still competing at the time too, and I was a judge. And uh, I always kind of thought about the things that if I were a Uh, A competitor the things that I would value and at that time for many years and you know bodybuilding is somewhat of an individual sport like it's an individual discipline you see yourself as an individual but I had this idea that there would be some value in putting people together or next to each other or in competition with each other or in a situation that would simulate the competitive experience and that's where the classes came from
0: and you are, I think the, the other uh, thing that differentiates you from the other two, you always were able to align uh, the the passion for the sport with the business and being creative, creating different uh, types of offers uh, for the clients. And, and that's a this very unique mindset. I was always wondering, with all your creativity in in your approach. I was like, why why Jeff does not have his own gym? I think it's something that you never really wanted to do, maybe?
1: Yeah, you know, the gym business is a a brick and mortar business, and I'm in the people business. And I prefer to put my energy into really the sort of the project part, much like yourself, and the projects, and the creativity, and the consulting, and the ideology, and uh, turning on and off the lights and managing the front desk some of those things weren't my probably aren't my favorite thing to do and i'm not saying it might not happen at some point but i always kind of thought of myself as a a competitors consultant and that's where i felt like my home was and where my energy is best used and i've just been fortunate to align with some really good people and am able to create relationships such that I can do that, you know, kind of across... And you all. have a
0: great partnership with the folks at uh, Willow Bend, right? For for many years already.
1: I've been at Willow Bend since 9 I've been there since oh9 And then, you know, I have taught or worked at uh, several different gyms over the years and, um, and kind of throughout the community. And I'm fortunate to have a lot of good relationships in the bodybuilding community in town.
0: But are you still doing more coach for competitive athletes, or are you doing coach for other people that are not competitive as well?
1: Yeah, Yuri, I'm probably 60% competitive athletes and 40% non-competitors, but my non-competitors, for the most part, are also what I would consider uh, people who are invested in having uh, an elite physique or an elite experience.
0: So what you're saying by that is that they might not do a show, but the regime and everything, the the, the treatment that you give is, is almost as the same as the competitive athlete.
1: Absolutely. M- my focus has been over the last several years, and it was derived out of the bodybuilding concept, and I've sort of applied it out. My focus has been aesthetic, really, um, and meaning that each of us has... Uh, a frame, uh, a bone structure, a frame, and then a sort of a muscular design. And my focus has been for all clients, obviously this translates to the stage well, uh, the focus being to develop the physique as evenly as possible, to correct imbalances, and then to continue to work those projects forward as the physique changes.
0: You've been extremely successful also uh, training older, master-level athletes. Kathleen uh, is a great example uh-huh. of that. Uh, what yeah. do you think is the the key for longevity on this sport if you want to continue to make improvements as you get older, which we know is is yeah. harder to, to make improvements as you get older?
1: It's so hard, Yuri. Uh, the biggest key in this I have learned for myself, I wish I could go back and tell myself this 20 years ago, Uh, I think one rule that is difficult to follow is, is that you should be training in such a way that you can train another day. I trained so many days, like it was the last day of my life and did back breaking, crazy things. And over time, it just wears out your body, Mm. it wears out your back, it wears out your knees, it wears out your hips, it wears out your shoulders and you know, we're responsive. Uh, to a stimulus i.e. we create a a stressor training and then our bodies are adaptive. if we're doing the right things and then we respond but the key to that is is that you need to pile those responses up over time that's what makes a great competitor and as you get older or as you get more mature in the sport and you accumulate injuries or you have changes in your body uh, the idea is, is that you continue to adapt your training style, your rest periods, your nutrition, uh, your support, supplementation, such that you can continue to effectively move projects forward uh, without setbacks or as few setbacks as possible.
0: That's a, well, I think y- you uh, and, and me and many others from our uh, time, we grew up uh, watching Ronnie lifting heavy all the time. <laughs> And uh, yep. we grew up watching Dorian Yates lifting heavy weights, so mm-hmm. I think mm-hmm. we were kind of influenced by that mentality that you have to to lift heavy weights to to get big. And I don't see that a lot mm-hmm. nowadays. I mean, the athletes nowadays they are they have a different mindset, I believe.
1: Yeah, I I definitely think there's been a shift to. Well, there are a lot of different styles now. Yuri, but. You definitely don't see as much of what I would consider Ronnie's style, which was power bodybuilding, Dorian's was power bodybuilding, uh, Cutler was a power bodybuilder for sure. Uh, I, I think you see much more of a, a volume style. And then with the advent of the different divisions, which is, it's, it's sort of interesting, um, and the requirements in the different divisions, i.e. men's physique competitors need to have really small waists. Uh, You don't see them doing bent over exercises. You don't see them doing things that might add muscle to their waistline. Um, They do really specific style training, you see that on some of the female stuff too. And so, it has become so diverse in the way that people train, and, you know, Hani really kind of changed the game with Phil when, you know, Phil was a real volume athlete. I mean, he has round muscle bellies. and. Honey figured out after watching Jay and working with Jay and Ronnie that he didn't want to destroy his athletes on the way to the Mm -hmm. top. And so he took a real volume sort of approach. And I'm not saying it wasn't progressive because it was. A volume approach with Phil, a protective approach, and it gave him a pretty good career. It's interesting, though, that even with that approach, he ended up having – and this is is an interesting – Concept is that he had this abdominal tear, this significant abdominal tear, even with that concept, and it really disrupted his Mm -hmm. career. And that's another example of what I would consider uh, genetics. Mm -hmm. Um, Whether it was an accident or it was something that had been building up, uh, the idea being that you protect your athlete for as long as you can. Hopefully, something doesn't happen. But in Phil's case, it did. And then it significantly changed his ability to compete.
0: But with your knowledge that you have today, and, and as you said, you, you wish you could say this to you 20 years ago, uh, would you yeah. change also your training regimen from the from 20 years ago to do a more um, you know not so heavy lift type of training? Do you think that uh, your progress would be the same? In other words, do you believe it's possible to grow without having lift? have a lift?
1: Not for me, and probably not for you either. <laughs> I mean, I, I mean the, re- <laughs> the reality is, here's. <laughs> I know, I, I wish I could say yes, Yuri, but I, I mean, the reality is this, for both of us, we probably weren't made to be on the bodybuilding stage, mm-hmm. right? And so, if that's the situation you're coming out of, the first thing you say to yourself strategically is, well, I need to add real muscle to my body and maybe I don't have show pieces, I don't have great arms, and I don't have great shoulders, and I don't have natural roundness, but what I can do is I can learn to squat, I can learn to deadlift, I can learn to press, and I can do those things progressively, and those exercises that put that kind of load on my body will cause my body to respond and accumulate real muscle tissue, real tissue, and those, those basics and those foundations at some level everyone has to pursue those at some level. You have to have a base of muscularity on your body. Um, wh- how much each person has to do is, is sort of dependent on their genetics and what division they're in. And, again, maybe men's physique, you don't do some of those things. But certainly in classic and in bodybuilding, you do have to do that. Um, I, I, uh, I, I don't know that I would have done it differently, Yuri, because I just love yeah. doing it. I would hope that maybe I would have, but it's hard to say that. But the other part for me, it ties back to something you asked me about classic. If I would have been in classic or there would have been a classic, I certainly would have trained differently because I, you know, I competed in my last show at 2.30. My cutoff is one ninety seven, So, obviously, it would have had to have been a little bit different.
0: Yeah, yeah. That's for sure. Now, one thing that I remember w- when we were talking about uh, uh, your, your physique when you were competing, you always complain about the size of your arms compared to – uh, the rest of your body. You said that uh, you could develop the leg really well, but uh, you always had to to grind more uh, your arms. Um, and yeah. uh, and this is another genetic factor, right? I mean, it's, it's something that is is on your genetic, and uh, you had just to grind more.
1: Yeah, it's, it's not my fault, Yuri.
0: <laughs> I know you put I know you put the work <laughs> for sure.
1: No, uh, yeah, it just um, I. I don't have good genetics in my arms. I I don't have the right kind of typing. Um, I have long bicep heads. I don't have great fulme- fullness on my triceps. Uh, and so there's just not a lot of, like, upside in my arms. And because I'm full in the lower body, when I get my arms up, i.e. front double bicep, back double bicep, it creates a significant mismatch. Yeah, but your side triceps
0: is, is amazing because I've – you know
1: what? I don't. I don't know how that works, Yuri. But
0: I'm <laughs> well. Talk. I know. I know how it works because you're posing. I mean, you know how you can display yes. the muscle. And a lot of people, even with big triceps, Absolutely. they are not able to do it.
1: Now that you're right about that, I, I, with the posing piece for me early on, knowing much like yourself that I was going to have a worker's body, and that I needed to be really refined, such that I could. Match up or pass competitors who are more gifted than me. That's really where the idea of my, you know, desire to be a good poser came from because I felt like the display itself could give me an advantage uh, in terms of aesthetic and then just reflection. And I obviously practiced that a lot and it really was like, very useful. It was frustrating when it wasn't useful. I'll tell you that. <laughs> that's what. Like when I was at national level and my posing was what I would consider really good and I was next to somebody who wasn't very good and I still (laughs) just got beat up, I didn't love that. Um, But it at least put me in the game or it gave me the opportunity. I always wanted the judges to have to say, this person is prepared. He's very prepared. Where is it that we see deficiencies and how much weight are we going to put in his preparedness versus his
0: deficiencies. Excellent, and now the, it seems, looks like you always were very mindful about the posing. Is this something that you develop on your own or do you have a coach that that kind of taught you that?
1: Yeah, I had a coach, uh, we all did, um, back in the day, uh, Marvin Meinstein, who was a character and he's, he's passed now. Um, he lived in Fort Worth and Ronnie Coleman posed with Marvin, which, uh, Branch posed with Marvin, Johnny Jackson posed with Marvin. Everyone came out of there. It was a really small community when I got into bodybuilding and it was kind of a blue-collar community. And he was the only game in town. And I used to drive over there from Dallas two times a week. I did that four years before I even did a show. I was just so interested in it and so fascinated and practice and practice and practice. And he had these he had a VHS camcorder with these VHS tapes and he would record your posing sessions and then I would run home and I'd put the camcorder in and I think I probably broke stuff and threw stuff the first couple of times I was so fat and so white. (laughs) Um, But what I learned from that was, and this is what carried forward in my business, was like, that's like real accountability. Like, you know, that's not me posing in the mirror, that's not me, you know, taking a selfie. I was like, here I am on the camera Uh, in my posing trunks and this is what I look like and it really motivated me to get better before I came back the next time on all fronts and Marvin really I mean Marvin would probably roll over in his grave today if he knew what I was doing but he really gave me the idea of that kind of like real reflection Mm -hmm. like I can remember guy Yuri I still have the pictures heck of Tana when she was 20 years old I started taking pictures of competitors in my posing class years ago, and when I sent them their updates, I would send them their update pictures. I did that a million years because I wanted them to see what they looked like and have some accountability. And then I thought it was good goal setting. No, you, you've
0: done you've done that you, but, yeah, you've done that to me many times uh, during the pose class. so yes. yeah, it's a uh, it's uh, is that's one of the huge advantages I would say to have the opportunity to train with someone like you that uh, walk the talk. I mean, what you'd asking someone to do is because you've done it. You you started this whole thing uh, back in the day with VHS and now, I mean, it's interesting because now we have so much access to technology and people are still lazy to not do uh, the homework as they should.
1: Yeah, yeah, really. I. I wanted every advantage I could have, and then I just loved it so much. You know, I just wanted to learn, and I wanted to watch and see what other people were doing. And then I also really, I don't know that I enjoyed, but I certainly gleaned a lot of information from posing next to someone else on video, because it gave me a real idea of what my basic structure was like, and then where I was strong or weak uh, in muscularity. Because it's really hard to do that by yourself. It's really hard. And if you're next to another person or several other people, it gives you a real chance to say, man, I really need to work on these things. Or this is my reflection and this is how I need to adjust my poses. It's so much more helpful because that's how everyone is judged in relation to other people. So that's stage.
0: probably why do you prefer to have like a big Saturday posing class rather than having one-on-one?
1: Uh, yeah, uh, you know, I offer both. Today, what I do, Yuri, is, is I encourage everyone to do a series of one-on-ones before they go into the class, because I don't want them to be overwhelmed by the class mm-hmm. itself. And I want them to have things to work on. Um, but I do want them in that environment, because all of us uh, have to acclimate to other people being next to us. We have to acclimate to being unsure. We have to acclimate to being nervous. It doesn't. It's not the same as the stage experience, which is so overwhelming but it at least gets you closer to you. Yeah, it is it. close
0: to you. And, and maybe for the first time that you are on an environment that you may not know everyone and some other people may be in a better mm-hmm. shape. And we have people that are uh, 15, week out, uh, 15 weeks out and the other one is like two weeks out. And like, oh shit, I mean, you, mm-hmm. you, you look side by side, you're like, yeah. you feel a, a little bit uncomfortable. So yeah, you need to be vulnerable to, to face that. So I think uh, it helps uh, uh, with the nerves and everything.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I I love it. I I like making people um, uncomfortable as uncomfortable as I can, in, in as safe an environment as I can, because as you know, you're gonna be uncomfortable.
0: Yeah, yeah. Now going back to to uh, to the masters uh, in about uh, you know continue to make progress. Let's talk a little bit about yourself because yeah. uh, every time that I that I see you looking better and better, what how. Things are are change uh, from you. You still training uh, five days a week. Uh, you still with a, a, mm-hmm. a good regimen because I me mean, you still make improvements.
1: Oh, thank you. I love training, and that's sort of the the basis of all of this for me from the beginning. Uh, it's such a, a healthy part of my life, and it's such an important part of what I do every week. Um, I've you know sustained you know injuries over the years. And so I've had to change the way I train or change, you know, exercises or, or avoid some. But in the context of doing so, I have become more effective uh, and more creative in using different exercises or tempo or range of motion or techniques such that I continue to try to be progressive. And it's not always progressive but I still love to train and I still love to challenge well, well what about so food what have... about
0: food I mean you're, you're, since yeah, since tough. you are not uh, in contest prep how, how you manage your food do you yes. keep a, you know all year round the a, a same amount of uh, a calorie intake a same macros or uh-huh. nowadays it's very automatic and you don't even count macros anymore
1: I, I don't I don't specifically count macros, but I, I I definitely understand that I need to have healthy intake throughout the day as best I can. Some days it's difficult because I work so much, but the idea being is that I know I need to get uh, as much protein as possible, and then as much good, clean energy food as possible. And then I will I can cheat here and there for whatever reason. My metabolic rate has just gotten higher as I've gotten older, which is kind of strange. Um, and and then I train really hard, and that kind of keeps me anabolic. I don't eat enough, um, but I am conscientious about what I do eat, and I'm just fortunate to have continued to pile on enough good days that I have my body has continued to mature, which is kind of crazy. Do you
0: have an average, like uh, like a ballpark, how much calories you are uh, intake?
1: I probably take in. 2500 calories a day. Okay. On big days it would be significantly higher. That probably happens 2 days a week, but my average day is 2500 calories. I don't have to can't eat as much protein as I used to. I just can't assimilate mm-hmm. as much. Um but I still am able to move forward and make progress on less food than I was able to when I was younger.
0: Are those high days uh, like cheating meals over the weekend or yeah, okay. Yes. Yes, for sure. And they would be really high. (laughs) Mm -hmm. What about about cardio, Jeff? Do you do do any cardio at all? Well, Yuri,
1: technically, no. Technically, I don't do any cardio currently. I have gone through phases where I do quite a bit of cardio, but uh, my body fat level has been so low for the last six months that I haven't had to or haven't integrated it in. And it's solely been food and resistance really? training. Really?
0: No cardio for six months? Yeah. That's amazing.
1: Yeah. I know. It's it crazy.
0: is crazy. But before that, you were doing what? Like 20 minutes, maybe?
1: You, Yuri, I was doing 30 minutes on the step mill, and I was doing that four to five times a week.
0: And And you didn't notice any difference when you stopped? I know that sounds
1: crazy. It doesn't make any sense at all, but no, I didn't. <laughs> I know. Wow. I never could have gotten away with that years ago. I, I don't know what's happening. I'll tell you the other thing that's interesting. As I've gotten older, I always struggle getting my lower body in, I just big fat legs and a fat butt. And um, As I have gotten older, um, my lower body is always in really, really good shape now, and my upper body holds more body fat than it used to. It's a really weird shift.
0: Have you, with all those changes in your, you know, metabolism, have you ever thought about doing a, a master show um, and and go for yeah. your pro card, like in Pittsburgh? You know, there's so many good opportunities there. Do you ever thought about that?
1: Yes, I mean, it's always in the back of my head. That's why I always stay on regiment. That's why I always continue to train for aesthetic. Always, because I'm a, a competitive, super competitive kind of. Um, and so, yeah, it's always in the back of my head. That's why I won't let go. Um, <laughs> I'm always a competitor. I think we all are. Once we're on the stage, I think we always think we should be. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, absolutely. I mean, it's why I still train the way I do. It's why I still pose the way I do. It's why I keep my body weight in a place that I could reach a classic physique um, pretty readily. I'm only like 225 maybe now. And, um, and it, it's always – I always want to be in striking distance, if it is that I feel like the opportunity is there.
0: And now the question: If you ever go, will go to classic or bodybuilding?
1: I'd go to yeah. classic. Makes sense. Um, I, I think it just seems fun and new for me. It would be a squeeze. I've never weighed. I've never weighed one ninety seven on stage, even when I was oh, really? a kid. Never. Um, never. No, I've never been that light. I'm not saying that I couldn't. Um, It would be a a little bit of a challenge, but I could do it. But uh, bodybuilding, um, I just the idea for me would be to be very successful, and I think classic would be the right place. So, what
0: was your lightest weight on stage?
1: Yeah, the lightest I ever competed at, I weighed 200 pounds. Accidentally, uh, weighed 200 pounds. I won the heavyweights at the Lone Star Classic at 200 pounds. The bottom of the heavies was 198, the top was 225. And I obviously was the lightest guy in the class.
0: But you probably were shred.
1: I was lean. I was very lean. I was a little over lean, Yuri. But uh, I, that was the smallest I'd ever gotten. And I had, it, when I had posed with Marvin, one of his great ideas was, it was in the summer, and he had this, uh, he really had this shed behind his house and uh, he called it the sweat box. And he, he would go in there, and I can remember this summer, it was over 100 degrees, and he'd close it up and he had these heaters, these floor heaters that he would turn on, and then he had these wow. heat lamps in the ceiling and he would turn those on too. And, uh, and you would stand there in a pool of sweat for an hour and then he threw stuff at you. He liked doing that, golf balls, sometimes a <laughs> hammer, water bottles, yeah. <laughs> I don't think he ever said one nice yeah. thing to me the whole time, and that was years. And I actually got heat sickness that day, and I was probably like five days out. And I think I was probably around two hundred ten then, and I obviously ended up dropping a significant amount of water and weighed in, you know, several days later at two
0: hundred. Wow, that is cool. That's why you said yeah. accidentally two hundred.
1: I was accidentally two hundred. It, it was not planned. Um, but, again, sort of, and this is why I said Marvin would roll over in his grave if he saw everyone posing in air condition, and then I was nice and encouraging to people, because that was not the environment that I came out of at
0: So, all. every time that you were posing, no AC, it was in the shed?
1: So, I was always in the shed, and if it were the summer, it was heat lamps. If it was the winter, there were no heat lamps, so you were either burning or
0: freezing. Oh, God, wow.
1: Yeah, and that was a good time, you know.
0: That 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 is called it, that is called you know, love like, for the sport for sure.
1: It was it it was Yuri, you know, like it was part of what I think in the old school was part of like the mental conditioning of being a bodybuilder. It was like a like a rite of passage, you know, like you went out there and you just worked and you worked and you worked and you worked and you just became tough, you know, stoic really, and uh, I loved it. I really did. Did you
0: do that right after you stopped playing football? Because I've seen some pictures of you with uh, football gear.
1: Uh-huh. Uh, I transitioned out of football and right into weightlifting. I had done some weightlifting for football, but I became very interested in bodybuilding right when I got into college.
0: Because Because you were I'd already probably looked- lifting for football, right?
1: I was. I was I was fascinated with bodybuilding magazines when I was a kid my brother and I were we used to go to the grocery store on Sunday after church and we would go look at bodybuilding magazines and we had all the flex we had all the muscle and fitness we just thought it was the coolest thing and we had a little makeshift workout set in our backyard and we would lift weights and we just thought it was super fun and then when I got out of college I had sort of a series of events occur such that I was had the opportunity to do a show and then when I did that, I made a list of goals. And um, I went after all of them. And one of those goals was to be on the cover of Muscle Fitness. One of those goals was to you know, win a, a, a novice show. One was to win an open show. One was to make top five at national level. And you know, I went after all of those things.
0: Did you also win overall? Uh,
1: I won a, a little different than today. I won six overalls in my wow. career. Um, Today, people, you know, get nationally qualified and they go straight to national level. But when I was competing, which was cool, um, you had to compete as a novice first. You couldn't get out of novice until you won your weight class in novice. Then you would go into open, and then you would have to make top two in open, and then you would go to national level. Well, although I did this and I shouldn't have, no one who went to national level went to nationals or USA first everyone went to junior nationals or junior usa because it was such a big jump in competitiveness i mean even phil heath went to junior nationals first i mean he won overall but it was part of the tradition of the Mm -hmm. journey and so there were several steps that took place when you were trying to work towards a pro card but i should say this i never thought i'd win my pro card i mean even when steve won his card in 11 at usa they only gave cards to the overall winner the second place were in the overall and the third place were in the overall they didn't give them all six high class weight classes now you know at usa and nationals it's top two in each weight class and that's still the fewest bodybuilding and then of course you get into classic and then physique and then into the master's divisions you have pro cards everywhere well when i was competing for all intents and purposes at USA for forever, one pro card overall winner, and at nationals, each weight class winner won his pro card. Well, I never even dreamed of mm-hmm. that because it was very competitive. And so my goal really was to be, you know, really kind of like Bob paris ish Like I just wanted to have an aesthetic physique and look the best that I could, and then take advantage of whatever opportunities came. Did you did,
0: you did you like uh, this change uh, on the way that they are handling pro cards? you think it was good for the sport? or do you prefer how it was in the past?
1: Yeah, so as a traditionalist, of course, I think it's blasphemy. I mean, here's the idea. That here's what's hard for me as sort of a business mind. What is the value of a pro card? Uh, I mean, what does it mean, and how is there an equivalent value if the professional league, although they are offering master shows now, but if the professional league, for all intents and purposes, the pinnacle of the professional league is to go to Olympia. So the idea is to go to a professional show, win, and go to Olympia, uh, i.e. everyone is on the same playing field. I don't know how the value of a pro card, and, and, and I'm not young, of someone who won their pro card in 45 and over is the equivalent value of someone who won uh, overall at NPC mm-hmm. Nationals. It's just not the same pro card. It gets you to the same place. Yeah, it absolutely does. It's not the same person. It's not the level, same level of aptitude. And so, when before the change, or sort of the gradual change is, there was like this real uh, respect that went with winning your pro card, and and that's the traditional part of me. Uh, the, the other part, which is business minded, understands that the setup today. Uh, makes sense for everyone involved that's coaches that's promoters that's service providers because success begets success and opportunity begets opportunity um and so i sort of have a mixed feeling and about and
0: it. And, and, I, and i believe it. also i i agree with the the second part of you i understand the first part of you but i also agree with the second part yeah. of you because catherine is a great example she got her pro car after after 50 or after 40 or 50 something like that yeah
1: yeah, yeah, she did in the 50-year-over. Um, she had grinded away for a really long time to do so. And so I, I do understand the value in all of that. I also understand that it allows for competitors who are master's level to continue to goal set and to move forward. And now you're seeing a lot of the pro shows offering master's pro divisions, yeah. um, certainly more of those now than were in the past. Um, but it, it's a battle between the traditional part of me Uh, and then that part that as things have evolved and changed, I mean, I, uh, had some level of aptitude, um, that I had sort of worked on for 18 years and, uh, I do not have a pro physique, which is fine. Um, so it, you can imagine what my idea of what some pro physiques would look like today. And that's just a different, difference in time. Oh, we
0: have the same example of Dave Palumbo. He never got his pro card.
1: He didn't, um, you know, and Dave didn't have the most beautiful physique. He, really, but he <laughs> really was didn't. he
0: was a beast. Um, I mean, he was big.
1: He was big, yeah. I, I did NPC Nationals in 2002. I was a heavy. He was a super. Um, I can remember seeing him. And then I worked with Dave. He was my coach in 2008, a super nice guy. and um, But, you know, at the time, Yuri, <clears throat> if you were to go back, and I actually have the VHS tapes, which is scary. Uh, if you were to go back and look at those classes, they're so deep. They're so deep with good guys. I'm not saying great guys, but good guys. And Dave just had gotten stuck behind several good guys for so long um, and just never could pull pull it together. But he certainly was muscular and was super conditioned. And his knowledge of doing those things and the fact that he's a really nice guy, Really lent itself to him having a, a really good business and being a real authority in the industry. Yeah, the,
0: the other one that uh, got late, very late, it was Joe Meadows, and Joe Meadows was on this show last year. Uh, we, he recorded with me, and we talk about this. But he also got his pro card like after I think he was a, more than forty, maybe or close to forty already. No, yeah. really.
1: And what show did he get that get? Uh, uh,
0: Joe Meadows. Uh, mm-hmm. I'm not sure if it was U.S. Na- U.S. Oh. Nationals.
1: Oh, yeah. I th- I can't remember, but yeah. It took him a long time too. You know, I, John was in my class in 02 also. Uh, he had a very, another interesting guy because he's very intelligent, really hard worker. Um, he was like Dave, although more aesthetic than Dave, but uh, he was so conditioned and so muscular. He really was. But both of those guys are a good example of, although they were overwhelmingly conditioned and muscular, when they were at that level, next to more aesthetic competitors, it was hard for them to overcome the aesthetics.
0: Yeah. I agree, I agree. In, in the other hand, you were a, a little bit the opposite, because you always had the aesthetics.
1: I was fortunate, I really was, uh, that I had good structure, nice structure. And that I had good flow to my physique and then I could pose in such a way that it made my structure look clean and so I was fortunate that I would get a a, probably get a look in most groups on aesthetic and then I would have to hope to follow the muscularity and it took me years to have enough muscularity to sort of move to like an elite level of competition um, because I needed more matching but once once I got there I really have a much more balanced aesthetic physique. Um, it just took a long yeah. time, Yuri. With a lot of banging. Do you
0: do you think that the 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 judges, when they are evaluating masters, they discount the age from the sense of okay, this person is like 50 years old. Of course, this person <laughs> is gonna have a losing skin here and there. Um, you know. Uh-huh. Do you think that they take this in consideration, or they will will not? They will try to look at the the perfect physique regardless of your age, and losing skin is something that uh, that they will always criticize. I'm asking this because I, I remember interviewing Leah. Um, she went to the Arnold uh, last year. I mean, and uh, and she she was talking to me about that, about there are places in her body that will never get really tight. Like, for example, she my knee. Yeah. My knee has losing skin on my yeah. knee. When I'm when when I when I'm prepping, I, I get a little losing skin on my knee, and that's always going to be there, right? Yeah. yeah.
1: Yeah, here's the way I would look at that and consider that. You know, Leah works with uh, Dave Palumbo now, mm-hmm. too, and got in the best shape of her life yeah. last year, significantly better than she's ever been in. Uh, here's my take on the loose skin. I have seen general level of conditioning is is the most important thing. And what I mean by that is this. I have seen competitors with loose skin who are absolutely peeled. I mean, just peeled. Like general level of conditioning, shredded hard dry. If it is that you are next to someone who has the equivalent level of conditioning but doesn't have loose skin, then you have an issue. Mm. It is not that big of an issue if you're in incredible shape. I've seen a bunch of people lose skin <clears throat> at masters level who are in ridiculous shape. They just have some areas where they have some skin. Does it deter me from saying this person is absolutely shredded? No. Does it deter me from saying this person's level of condition needs, needs to be rewarded? Not at all.
0: So the so the so the problem a- is who is stand besides you, right?
1: Yes. Yeah, I mean, and again, like, is your requirement, if it is that you have some skin issues or conditioning issues to get into tip-top shape, it definitely is. Because as much as people complain about it, conditioning is still very much, more so today than ever, a very, very important part of what we value in the NPC and IFBB. It just is. A conditioned body, and I mean conditioned and not stringy and small and overdieted is a much easier body to judge and it just pops off the. Stage. Do you think that this it do you think that this does. is
0: going to change with the amount of deaths that we we've seen uh, lately because I think I I heard about uh, a potential change in in how people are evaluated exactly for that uh, for the conditional perspective.
1: So that was the initial response, mm-hmm. right? Like this big like backlash and Excuse me. This um, idea that there would be some reduction in emphasis on conditioning—you know, some version mm-hmm. of that—I have. I mean, I've I not seen one. I've I've not seen that anywhere. I haven't. I mean, the figure athletes today, Yuri, at the pro and in, in Olympia level, I—I I, they blow my mind. Yeah, they blow my mind how conditioned and muscular they are, mind-boggling. I mean, I had done a, uh, uh, I can't remember the competitor's name, but I had found this girl, she's a figure competitor. She did Olympia in 2000, and let's say, it was probably 2014, and she did in 21. She placed fourth in 14, seventh in 21, I put them side to side. She had to be 70% better in 21 than she was in 14. And her placement decreased just because the level of muscular and conditioning had increased so much in that division itself. They all have. I just can't believe how conditioned people
0: get today across the board. It's unbelievable. It is unbelievable. Well, it's unbelievable. That's for sure. Well, Jeff, uh, you know, with you, we could go for hours and hours uh, because (laughs) you are such a. Bodybuilding encyclopedia, you you know everything. It's always a, a very good pleasure to to talk to you about this sport. Um, and, and you know, thank you very much for taking the time to record uh, this podcast on Sunday. I know it's a day off to stay with your family, so I appreciate you taking this time to to talk to me today.
1: Yuri, thank you so much for having me. Um, I've always appreciated working with you and your insight and your friendship uh and i'm proud to be
0: uh number 49 <laughs> and i'll tell you this Oops. one day we will work together again that's for sure i look yes. forward to yes we're gonna do this uh one year long prep that you have now on your <laughs> on your catalog <laughs> let's, <laughs> let's 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 do it this all right it. my friend take care thank you very much Me too, Yuri. okay, okay. bye <laughs>